before we get into the message for today, I just want to take some time just to check in again on how, how people are going with regularly reading the Psalms. If you've not been with us a couple of weeks ago, I just put out this invitation to read two Psalms a day with me uh, over the, the coming weeks as we're in this series. So, And not to do it in a legalistic sense, like I, I missed one this week and it's, it's fine, I'm all good, I'm still saved and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, so not to do it in a legalistic sense, but just to do it to, to delight in God's word and to be nourished by it and to um, be formed by the honesty of, of the Psalms and to grow in our intimacy with God. So, so that, that was the invitation. How, how are people going? Any, any further reflections this week on how that has been and some of the, the insights or, or experiences of that for you? Don't leave it awkwardly silent for too long because the video, it'll just be weird. <laughs> Darren. I've been really enjoying it, but I keep finding that I'm revisiting one of the early psalms that really spoke to me on the day. Yep. So I've just kept going back and reading that one as well each day. Perfect. And I think revisiting ones that have obviously spoken to you is absolutely, um, yeah. Like, like I said, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not, we've got to churn through these things. Um, yeah, that's awesome, Darren. Rosie, did you? Having accountability is helping you to actually actually do it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that when I put it out there for for you guys. It's like, oh gosh, I've got to do this too. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, there's a hand. Sorry, I'll, we'll go here with Pam. So much of it has been put into music for us. Yes. Yeah, so much in music and, and enjoying that. Absolutely. Gail, I saw your hand. I feel like a Pentecostal preacher. I see a hand up the back there. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Absolutely. So written by King David, who is just an ordinary person, but with an amazing God. What a great, great insight. And there was one here I saw. Rob. Yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, um, amazing, the humanness of it all. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's today, even though it's so long ago. Absolutely, the humanness, and yet still so relevant. For, for me, uh, I was stuck by just a really simple phrase um, that I read the other morning in, in Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is one, I couldn't tell you how many times uh, I've read that psalm, and, and there was a, a season you know, a, few, a few years back when I took a month's leave um, from church, just when everything was really hard for me, and I, I just camped out on this psalm, and it really spoke to me and, and sustained and comforted me at that point. But reading it again this week, it was this phrase, he refreshes my soul. I can't even necessarily put words to what it is about that verse, but man, it just makes my heart sing, doesn't it? That just that sense of, and maybe it's been, you know, both Mary and I, and we've worked out that this doesn't work for our family, both Mary and I have been intensely busy these last couple of weeks. And so to then have this thing about, in the midst of all that, he refreshes my soul. Uh, or, or whether it's, you know, in, in just hardship or, or difficulty, whatever it is, this phrase just captures my heart. And so I just give thanks to God that he does so. Well, Psalm 23 is actually where we're going to finish this series um, in however long that is, three years' time. But today, <laughs> it's not that long, don't, don't panic. Um, 
But today we're going to look at the psalm just prior to it, which is Psalm 22. And so I'd like to ask Susan to come and read uh, this psalm for us this morning. If you get it ready for yourselves on your device or, or your Bibles, that would be excellent. Psalm 22, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, they tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions and save me from the horn of wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, 
He has done it. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it reveals to us of your people, ordinary people who yet have a great God, ordinary people who experience things back then that we still experience today. And so may your word speak to us today, we ask, and, and help us and, and lead us further into our intimacy with you. And this is our desire. So we ask for your help in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm has a different tone to the others that we've considered so far, doesn't it? And that's because it's a, it's a psalm of lament. And there are phrases throughout it that are, that are familiar to us, especially as we approach Easter next weekend. There's that cry of Jesus on the cross. There's the mocking that the passers-by throw at him. The piercing of, of hands and feet, gambling for his clothes. But this psalm was not written really as a, as a prophecy to Jesus. I mean, though it may have those elements, this, this psalm was one of lament and of grief by King David. It lacks reference to a, a specific event or circumstance, so, so we can't tie it to this particular event in his life. But by doing so then, it opens it up for our use when we find ourselves in similar situations. And it begins with familiar words that for some of you may then be a familiar experience. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, and I still find no rest. We've been talking in this series about having an intimacy with God that, that goes beyond just having a, a polite relationship with Him and that gets to the heart of what's real for us in our lives. And that's what this psalm does right from the outset. God, where are you? Why, why are you so distant? Why are you silent? I'm here in distress and heartache and I'm calling out to you, but I'm just getting nothing back. These are the ugly but, but real cries to God. They are angry cries, bitter cries, disillusioned cries, confused cries, lost cries. They're not polite. They're not correct as such, but they are honest, coming from the heart. Have you been there? Or even are you there now? I've had a few experiences of, of this in my life, thinking most particularly of when we miscarried our first pregnancy or, or that time that I referred to earlier when I took time away from church. But it doesn't matter what the specifics are. It might be a, a child with a disability, a sibling with a tumour, a spouse's infidelity, your, your own bondage to addiction. It might be an empty pantry, crippling debt, or being falsely accused and judged and nailed on a cross. There are times when it doesn't seem to matter how much we pray, how much we cry out, the heavens are silent. Words are bouncing off the roof. Silent to our anguish and our, our distress. And we can't help but then ask, why? Why, God? 
And it's interesting to note that David here doesn't ask, why is this happening to me? Which is often what our cry is, isn't it? But his cry is, why, God, are you so distant from me? It's like he could probably handle whatever he was going through if he just had that assurance that God was with him in the midst of it. But as if life is not hard enough for him in itself, God, his refuge, his strong tower, God seems to be denied to him as well. And so he's absolutely adrift. Psalm 23 that I referenced earlier, I mean, part of the comfort of that psalm is because there's this absolute assurance of God's presence. I fear no evil, for you are with me. But Psalm 22, you know, just the psalm earlier, sits in the absence of God. And God's absence just makes all that we're going through, as hard as it already is, it just makes it even worse for us. And so the psalmist, David, then cries out these honest cries to God. But even that's interesting, isn't it? Because the psalm cries out to my God, my God. There's still this sense of relationship. He hasn't distanced himself from God. He hasn't just objectified, you know, God out there in the universe, you know, just being angry at the world and life and all that it is. It's, it's a cry to my God, my God. And, and that's why then this psalm, I think, contributes to our understanding and, and pursuit of intimacy with God because it says that we can take to him even our hard questions and our dark moments, that he is still able to bear them and we can take them to him. I remember as a teenager um, having this moment of just absolute disbelief in God. I'd been praying for something and like the exact opposite happened. And so I had this, this crisis of, of faith even and where I didn't even believe that God was real, that he couldn't exist because he was my prayer that he hadn't answered. In fact, the opposite, God, you mustn't even be real. And yet... In that moment of doubting God, of disbelieving God, I expressed that in prayer to God. And there seems to be a, a contradiction there, 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 doesn't there? But it also seems you, you know, that, that in our hearts that we know that God is still there, even though he feels so distant. And, and so we still cry out to him. Maybe it's like Peter's response to Jesus, you know, where else would we go? And so even though it seems like God is denied to us, yet there's nowhere else we would go. And so we still come to him with our cries, with our anguish, because we know that an absent God is still a better option than anything else. And so in that place where we've been honest to God, I think it's then the the next verse that helps us gain an insight as to why it is and how it is that that David can still hold on to this relationship with with God and still come to him in prayer. Because he says, yet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from answering my cries? I cry out to you day and night and I get no rest yet. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. 
in you. Our ancestors put their trust and they trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. Yet. And there's two ways we could read this, this word yet. The, the first is, is to kind of add to the psalmist's complaint. God, I'm crying out and you're not answering. Yet I know that you hear the cries of other people and you've answered them. It's a yet that further reinforces his sense of abandonment by God, a yet that could lead him to return the favour and also to give up on God himself. But I don't think that's the way we read this yet. Because this God is my God. And so I don't think, I don't think he's abandoning God. He's not feeding into that, that despair. In the midst of the struggle and the questions, rather he's expressing faith. So the second way to read this yet is as one of faith to say, God, I know that this is my experience right now, yet I know that you've acted in the past. You've acted in the lives of others and you've acted in my own life. I know that's what you do. I know that's what you're like. And so right now you feel so far away from me, yet I will hold on to what I know of you, from what I'll hold on to what I've experienced of you in the past. And even if, and I'll continue to trust in you, even if my experience right now doesn't make sense. We talked about this a bit last week when we looked at Psalm 95. The people of Israel, despite having experienced the wonder upon wonder from God, yet found themselves in a new hardship. And instead of continuing to trust in what they knew of God, instead of choosing to, to focus on what they had experienced of God in the past to then have confidence going forward, instead of that, they hardened their hearts against him and they rebelled. But I think David here in Psalm 22 is trying to take the opposite approach. Instead of forgetting those things and so being hardened against God, he is, he's actually reminding himself of what he knows about God. And he's using that to continue to feed his faith in the midst of his struggles. Matthew Jacoby is a Baptist pastor and the lead member of the band Sons of Korah. And in his book on the Psalms, he says, A person might do this sort of thing to say, See, this contradiction proves that God doesn't exist or he does not care about us. This is my experience and this is what I've seen of you in the past. This contradiction, they don't marry up, so they prove then, God, that you don't care. But, that's not the psalm. but if that's not the psalmist's intent, and given that his cry is to God, I don't believe it is, then what he is in fact saying is that this contradiction means that God is compelled by his own self-revelation to act in this situation. The unbeliever highlights the contradiction as an excuse not to believe. But the believer highlights the contradiction as a way of exercising his faith. And so that's then why being part of a church is so, so important for our walk with God. Because when we feel far from God, when we feel abandoned by him, when we are heartbroken and lost and exhausted, well, then we gather with other people. And we are reminded of these things that we know, but that we're tempted to forget. We sing these songs of this, I believe, this is how you've acted, this is what you've done. And they speak to us and they hold before us again the truth that we want to 
uh, that, that we could easily forget. A few years back, I went through a season of, I would call it ultimately disillusionment with God. This is not the teenage experience. This is, this is recent, relatively recent history. And I think it was, it was the build-up and the culmination of multiple things. But I think the final straw for me was just responding to the death by breast cancer of, of a beautiful young mum in our church. And I just couldn't deal with that. I, I didn't get it. And I didn't get God. And there was this disillusionment with him, if you like. But despite having real questions of God, I continued to preach and to lead and to sing. And part of me felt the contradiction of that. Absolutely. But I knew that these things I was preaching, these things I was leading, these things I was singing, I knew these things to be true, even if I didn't feel them. I knew that my felt experience didn't change the reality of who God is and of what he has done. And my preaching and my leading and my singing was as much to remind myself of that as anything else. And that's what the psalmist is doing. In the midst of despair, in the midst of anguish, yet I will remember, God, what you are like, what you have done. But as you know, if you've been in this space, you know that, that simply remembering and declaring these things doesn't suddenly make everything all rosy and good. It doesn't automatically change the experience. Holding on to a right view of God doesn't necessarily make the experience any easier to go through. And so David says in this psalm that he's surrounded by bulls and lions and dogs, vicious, wild, powerful and pack animals that represent his enemies just coming at him, attacking him from every side. And as a result, he's, he's full of fear. His heart melts like wax. He feels empty and without strength, without the sustenance to go on. And in the midst of that experience, he's also being mocked for his faith in God. Already feeling like the lowest of the low, I'm a worm and not a man. He, he's teased for, for his continued trust in God, a God who doesn't seem to be doing anything to save him. Yet, yet you brought me out of the room, womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Here's another yet. This is my experience, yet I know this of you. This is my experience, yet I know this of you, God. God, this is my experience, yet I know that you have proven yourself faithful and worthy of my trust throughout my life. And right now, this doesn't change that. You are still faithful. You are still worthy. And in, this, in a particular moment, it might feel foolish. It might seem foolish to keep trusting in God. I mean, like Job's wife, says to him, when Job has suffered hardship upon hardship, loss upon loss, pain upon pain, his wife says to him, dude, just curse God and die. That's the logical response, isn't it? It gets to that point where that actually makes sense. But Job 
knew what David knows. Because despite the mocking he's receiving, he knows, and he'll say this in Psalm 25, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And so as the psalm continues, we see David then continuing to constantly you know, move towards God in faith and in trust rather than distancing himself or, or remaining stuck in his disappointment. That, that might be what makes sense, but he knows that no one who hopes in God, however foolish it seems, however difficult it might be, will ever be put to shame. And so he says that I will declare your name to my people and in the assembly I will praise you. And the reason for this, the reason that he's able to praise and declare uh, his testimony, if you like, is that God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. David endured through the hardship and the distance of God to then be able to come out the other side of it. If he hadn't still trusted in, in my God, even when he was silent and distant, then presumably the outcome would have been different because he says here that God did hear his cries. He did hear the ugly, honest, real cries of his heart. God heard and he did answer. And this then becomes another experience in his life that, that he can add to the bank, if you like, that he can look back on and see God's goodness and his faithfulness and to remind his heart the next time he's in a space like this, to remind his heart that when all seems dark and hard, yet God is with him, yet God is listening, yet God will see him through. So as we reflect on, on this psalm in light of our intimacy with God, there are a number of things that, that it shows to us that, that can inform us as we pursue life with God. And the first is for us, the first is the, the encouragement just to be honest and real with God about our experience. I mean, it's not a surprise to him, is it? He, he knows. If he knows the number of hairs that we have on our head, if he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows what our experience is. He knows what we're feeling about it. So it's, it's not like trying to stay polite and correct and proper, you know, he's going to fool him. He sees through that fig leaf. So just be honest and real with God about our experience because he knows it anyway. But, but, but imagine if David had just kept polite and proper. Well, we wouldn't have this psalm. We'd have a very sanitized version of it, very neat, kind, you know, polite version, but it wouldn't be real. And it wouldn't, you know, I think as, as Rob said, it wouldn't connect with our experience in the way that it does. And we wouldn't have the witness to faith and to still holding on to God in the midst of, of, of his seeming absence. And so this psalm encourages us be real. Bring your struggles, your doubts, your, your difficulties to God as much as to bring your faith and your praise and your rejoicing. Bring it all to God. Secondly, then, I think this psalm calls us to choose, to choose the yet and to remind ourselves of God's past behavior and character so that we can have confidence in him in the present. Our current realities may not make sense, and they may never make sense to us. 
And in the confusion and the difficulty of that, there is a degree to which we need to choose where we put our focus. David had to do this multiple times within the psalm to remind himself of the yet. The the yet doesn't cancel out our experience, but it reminds us of the truth that is um, beyond and alongside our experience. Both things are true. My life sucks and it's really hard and I'm lost and confused and God, I don't know where you're at. And God, you are faithful and true and you've proven yourself to be time and time again. And so if both these things are true, we need to choose then which we focus on because that then shapes how we respond to God, how we continue to live out our life and how we get through that time. The third thing this psalm models for us then is to keep on moving towards God even when it seems counterintuitive. God felt absent, so David cried out to him. God wasn't acting, so David reminded him of his past actions. You know, when we are struggling and, and heaven is silent, the easy thing for us to do is to give up on God and to then kind of prove our doubts and our questions right. But in this psalm, David keeps moving towards God, crying out to him in the midst of his doubt. And then it's his faith that he's proved right. This faith and the ability to keep moving towards God in the midst of his anguish doesn't just come out of nowhere, though. So so a fourth thing for us to take away from this psalm is that we need to be cultivating our relationship with God and and building up a bank of, of trust with him when things are good. Cultivate the practices of of honest prayer and of delighting in his word when things are going well because that then builds a habit into our lives and builds a, a reservoir of experience with God that will serve you well then when the world falls out from under your feet. And then lastly, I want to say that if the cries of this psalm resonate with you, if you're living out this reality of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then know that Jesus understands that experience because he lived it too. We see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was fully human in every way as he entered into and shared our humanity. And so he knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God because that was his own cry from the cross and so when that is our cry it does not fall on the ears of a God who is uncaring and unsympathetic it falls on the ears of a God who knows the pain and the heartache of it more than that Jesus shows us then not only that that he knows our experience and so he's empathetic and sympathetic towards it, but Jesus shows us that in the short term, I mean, things may not go how we want. But he also shows us that God is present, that God is near, that God is working, and that God is doing something far beyond a mere escape from pain and suffering, which is what we want. Because by his experience, Jesus was able to become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. God came near to us 
He wasn't distant. He wasn't removed. He wasn't far away. God came near to us in the person of Jesus, who then on the cross experienced our sense of abandonment by God as he bore our sin that caused it in the first place. And in doing doing so, he made the way for us to no longer be separated from God, but instead to be in a close, intimate family relationship with him. And then in rising again from death and ascending to heaven, Jesus then sent his spirit into each of our lives who have faith in him, that God would then be not even just near to us, not even just alongside us, not even just with us, but that he would be in us, in and through all things that we experience. And so the psalm finishes with this phrase, he has done it. And this is a fitting last word as we affirm that, yes, yes, he has. Jesus has achieved for us our salvation. He's delivered us. He's rescued us. He's saved us. He's answered all those prayers that David is crying out in this psalm. As then with another cry from the cross that echoes this one, Jesus declares, it is finished. He has done it for us. So church, let's worship him together as we share in communion now. We're going to take bread to remember his body and the cup to remember his blood. And even in the act of doing this, we affirm that our faith is in Jesus and that through him God has saved us and that he lives in us now by his spirit until that day when we see him face to face. By sharing in this too, we remember the life that Jesus lived and what he experienced, to know that we are not alone in our suffering and anguish, but he is alongside us. He he gets it and he loves us and he cares for us and he will see us through. He will be with us, journeying through it with us. And there is a symbolism. We take bread and we, we eat it. It goes into us. We take the cup and we drink it. It goes into us. It reminds us that Jesus is in us. We've not been abandoned. We are not left on our own, but he's forever with us until that day when we see him face to face. So let's, let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for this psalm that speaks the truth, you know, the, the reality of some of our lives and certainly for all of us of moments of our lives. where we do cry out, where are you, God? Why is this happening? I'm surrounded. I'm without strength. I'm I'm wasting away here. I'm failing. I'm falling. Would you please save? And yet it seems like you don't. And so for us, God, I, I pray that this psalm gives us the permission, really, to bring before you our our struggles, our realities. And in bringing them before you, to also know that you are there, that you are present with us and in us, that you are hearing, that you are answering our prayers, maybe in ways that we could never imagine, maybe in, in a time frame that's different to what we want, but yet you are doing it because you don't abandon us. 
and you are sympathetic to our experience having lived it yourself in Jesus. And so we want to come to Jesus now. We want to come saying, not my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But my God, my God, thank you for coming. Thank you for drawing near. Thank you for doing everything possible so that, I, so that we can have assurance that we are saved, that we can have a relationship with you that is one of closeness and intimacy know that we will yet see you face to face and experience your goodness in the land of the living. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has done it. We thank you that he would declare, as we'll remember, particularly next week, that it is finished because he, he's acted. And so we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember his presence in us. And we hold on to the yet. In the darkest of our experience, we hold on to the yet. You love us. You have saved us. You have drawn near to us. You promise to never abandon us, to never let us go. And you promise that you will lead us home. And so in Jesus, we put our faith and our trust. And we worship him as we share in communion and as we sing. In his name we pray, amen.